All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for being here. I uh, can't really see you, but it's a little weird standing here and having no one here, but Marty running sound in the back and Whitney running slides and preaching to some chairs, but it'll be good. Uh, like uh, Michael said, we're in the book of Second Peter tonight. Michael, could I get that table up here? Just a little more space. Uh, thank you. Uh, like Michael said, we're in the book of Second Peter tonight, um, and I love that he named it uh, The Growing Life, because I really couldn't think of a, of, of a more fitting kind of title for, for this intro message. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Um, and man, yeah, this passage is about the growing life, um, but it's not about growing your life for yourself. It's about growing your life for the glory of God. And so that, that's what we're going to uh, be looking at tonight. But um, I wanted to start this message off with a picture. And so just listen to this picture, um, and I pray that the Lord would use this. The monotonous, dry, and meaningless routine of words and attendance in the church was miserable. Mark, as a young believer, grew up going to church every single week with his parents and his siblings. But now at the age of 17, and beginning to see reality through his own lens, he saw only a vain motion. The passivity of faith in the congregation was tangible. Individuals who professed to believe in God, who had redeemed them by his power, as they would say, yet who can still continued in the way of the world. From the eyes of an outsider on the inside, all he saw was lip service. Men and women of indifference towards God, who would mouth the songs of faith and nod in compliance with words coming from the pulpit, but with their actions... They did not honor God. The qualities of a Christian that, they, that these so-called Jesus callers would say weren't even seen. They would speak of these qualities, but they weren't acting them out themselves. The man of generosity, kindness, and brotherly affection that they described could not be found. It was as if the sum of the Christian life was mere profession in the eyes of Mark. Say you believe it, keep coming back, and that's the total Christian life. Now, does this... Does the perspective of this character really sound so foreign to us tonight? Now hear me now. I'm not talking about a double-sided life. This message is not about someone who um, claims to be in Christ, comes to church on Sunday, lives in a life of sin, and comes back on Sunday to repent and do it all over again. We're not talking about a double-sided life, although we've all known people um, in our times of church who may have acted that out. But tonight, this passage is talking and speaking about the Christian who is a regularly, regularly attending, true believer, man or woman, whose life does not bring glory to God by way of action. Is it exclusively outside of Gig Harbor or even Thrive sometimes that we hear of individuals who regularly attend the gathering and comply with all standards of faith, but live on with an undisciplined, motionless, and ungodly faith? Brothers and sisters, I tell you tonight that this passage tonight claims that such a faith is blind. A faith of only words and no action has forgotten the cost at which it has been redeemed, and such a faith is useless. But this passage will provide the solution for the ditch that we have all found ourselves in at one time or another. This passage will show us how to guard against a passive faith in Jesus, which is a faith that bears no fruit. 
My prayer for leading up to this night is that God would use this passage to show us how he has given us everything necessary to thrive as Christians by his power alone. And that we would be encouraged by the scriptures and by the truths in tonight's message to live lives of action and discipline that give glory to God. So now we're going to dive into the passage. Um, like Michael said, we just finished 1 Peter, and now we're on 2 Peter. So from, from, the, from the good life to the growing life, the life that is um, bringing glory to God and bearing fruit for his name. Um, and that's really what Peter is concerned with in these first 11 verses. Um, and we're going to see, especially tonight, um, that in a world that is corrupted by sin, how we live our lives deeply matters to God. Deeply matters to him. So would you read the passage with me uh, tonight? We're going to read it in its entirety just to start the night off. Uh, Verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you guys pray with me as we just dive into this passage? Lord, uh, thank you for everyone who is watching tonight and who is here uh, reading the word. And Lord, I just thank you. Uh, for this opportunity to read your word. I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, show us how this text uh, is to be lived out, not just known, not just read, not just attended to or checked off the box, but to be lived out. Uh, Would you just make this real to our hearts by the power of your spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to study this passage tonight under three different headings. Um, But before I give you the first heading, I'm going to be saying a phrase a lot tonight that I need to make clear. It's a presupposition that I I have in in, in this text. Um, And it's to build up our faith. I'm going to say build up our faith. I'm going to say fortify our faith. I'm going to say add to our faith. And what what do I mean by that? Well, look at verses 5 to 7 with me. It says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. And so it's really clear and obvious in this text that we're supposed to supplement or add to our faith. But how are we supposed to do such a thing? And tonight, I propose that we can do such a thing, that we can add to our faith, that we can supplement our faith by the truths found in tonight's text. 
And I'm going to pull out these three truths, and I hope that they compel us to add to our faith in a way that brings glory to God. Because we can't just obey verses 5 to 7 and add to our faith, um, you know, virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness, and all these good things. We can't do it if we just clench our fists really hard and hold our breath. We are compelled by the love of Christ. And when we understand the truths of the gospel, then we live lives to the glory of God. Not when we just try to, 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 to be good people. Um, so our, uh, my first uh, heading for verses 3 and 4 is that we can build our faith because of God's power, not our own. So would you look at me uh, with verses 3 and 4? It says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So this text is saying that we have everything that we need in this life to be godly. But how? It says that it's by God's power. And his power is made clear to us through our knowledge of him as he calls us to live lives of glory and excellence. But it's through our knowledge of God. So, so knowledge is a huge, is a huge um, theme in, in, in this passage. Uh, look at verse 2 with me quickly. It says, May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our, of God and of Jesus our Lord. So grace and peace are multiplied to the readers and to the audience of this text by their knowledge, by their knowing of who God is and of who Jesus is. Knowledge in the Christian life is, is a key equation that we're going to see coming uh, up and up again multiple times uh, in tonight's text. But you can't know God without knowing who he is, right? And we know God who he is by the word that he has given to us about himself. Think with me, just, I can't know my wife without knowing who she is, without knowing what she likes, what she doesn't like, what her, uh, what her characteristics are, what her traits and behaviors are like, what her likes and her dislikes are, her passions and her distates. But it's only, I can say that I know my wife when I know who she is and her character. And it's the same thing with God. If we don't know who God is by his word that he has written for us, then we just have an abstract relationship with him. So it's through our knowledge of God that we receive and that we know, that we receive um, the power to live out our lives in holiness for him. Listen to a, um, an illustration from a book by J.I. Packer about this. I love this illustration. He says, Knowing about God is crucially important for the living of our lives. As it would be cruel to an Amazonian tribesman to fly him to London, put him down without explanation into Trafalgar Square, and leave him as one who knew nothing of English or England to fend for himself, so we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. I just think that paints, paints such a great picture that in order for us to live our lives well, we have to know about the God who has created our lives and who has purchased our lives for his sake. So um, let's just keep going through verses 3 and 4. Um, the ESV and the NIV say that God has called us by or to his own glory and excellence. Which means that through the greatness of who God is, we are called to him. 
And it is through this very greatness that he calls us by his promises, or that he calls us, and by his promises, I'm sorry, I'm stuttering. It's through that very greatness that he calls us, and by his promises, and by his promises given to us. And through these promises of God, we may become partakers of the divine nature. But notice in verse 4, it doesn't just say that we are partakers of the divine nature who live in the world still and act as our flesh desires, but it says that we are living unto something greater, that we are living our lives for the glory of God as we become partakers of the divine nature. First John has this picture that we've been transferred from a, uh, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's this great reversal. We've been plucked from the world of sinful desires, and we have been um, pulled to become partakers of the divine nature. So once again, our heading for this section, for verses 3 and 4, is that we can build up our faith because of God's power, not our own. And I just love how contrary and opposite this is to the message of our culture. Our culture says to, to, to be a nice person, to love your neighbor as yourself. You know, that's the, that's the golden rule, right? But our culture um, in, encourages us to just be nice people, uh, just to be nice people. There's no root and there's no foundation. There's no reason for these good works in uh, the secular world. But the difference is that one is that we are rooted in the power of God and that the other has no foundation. The Bible tells us, not, tells us to be nice and decent people, not on our own will, but that God's power gives us the ability and fuels us to live effective lives for his kingdom. So we can build up our faith because of God's power, not our own. But as I've already said, that knowledge about God is key in this equation of Christian living. We're about to see that the knowledge of God goes beyond just knowledge and information and education, but it should naturally lead into transformation and action. So look at verses 8 and 9 with me now. For this, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we see that we should build up our faith because our calling goes beyond bare knowledge about Jesus. We see here in these verses that the Christian life extends past just the intellect, that the Christian life extends to the obedience of the Word of God. You can know a whole lot about God. That's why these verses are telling us that just pure knowledge about God doesn't lead to any fruit for God. Listen to James chapter 2. He says, You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish man, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. So we see here in the, in the book of James that the Christian life is not one of just knowing and knowledge in a, in a, in a headspace, but we are called to supplement and to build up our faith with the qualities mentioned in verses 5 through 7 because the Christian life is so much more than just knowledge. 
And if you believe that knowledge is all there is when it comes to living for Jesus, that you just have to be orthodox, as we might say it, um, and then you're good, this text tells you that you are blind, if that's what you believe. If we do not put flesh on the bones of our faith with godly character, self-control, love, and all these other things, then we are just as good as a blind man. Look at verse 9 with me. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. So those who fall into this category are not only blind, but they have forgotten that they've been cleansed from their sins. And this might be you tonight. Have you forgotten that you've been cleansed from your sins? That you've been called to a life of holiness by God? Because he has purchased your life. This is the, the same idea that we saw in verse 4, that we can become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corrupt world. It's such a beautiful picture of salvation, that we've been pulled from the world of death into the kingdom of heaven. Not on our own work, though. Not on our own work. We have escaped the corruption in the world and we have been forgiven our sins. We have been redeemed by the blood of Christ that was shed on our behalf. And this is the gospel that many of you would affirm and say, yeah, I know, I've heard that before. But this is where our text speaks to us tonight. It doesn't stop there. Yes, your sins have been forgiven and you no longer are in the world, but you are Christ's. And so then, because of that, build up supplement, strengthen, improve, intensify, fortify, add to your faith these things. Because faith is so much more than just knowledge and consent, but it is living in a manner actively that represents your salvation and represents your calling from God. I think of Ephesians 4 verse 1 where it says, um, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Or even uh, Romans 12, where it says, I urge you then in view of God's mercies to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's this idea of um, because of what God has done for us, we surrender our lives to him. And I see this just really concrete um, in these verses here, that if we are not supplementing our faith, then we've forgotten what God has called us to. and We've forgotten what he has done for us. Let's see, where am I? Okay, we're moving on to verse 10 and 11 in the third point. Uh, read verse 10 and 11 with me. It says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So our third and final point here is that we must build up our faith because we approach an eternal kingdom. We must build up our faith because we approach an eternal kingdom. We are on a dot. Our lives are a dot on the map of eternity. And this text is not written 
so that you can be a better person or so that you can have a better reputation or so that you can be more proud about your own character. But the Holy Spirit inspired Peter to write this text because you are to live your life for a dying world that isn't and doesn't know Christ. And your lives are to reflect what God has done for you. And you are to be a, a witness and an image bearer of God in these qualities that we see tonight. And so I think this is a really just great text for um, our, our time to, today, um, where people might have a lot more time on their hands. And like, this is a, a time for us to, to, to reset um, some of our old habits and disciplines and to look at this passage tonight and say, am I living my life in a way that is worthy of the calling which I have received? Um, and so I would just encourage us to, to build up our faith um, and to, to really press in uh, to these words tonight. Well, that's all I have tonight. Um, I hope you guys enjoy small groups, and I think Amanda and Michael are going to split you guys up. And uh, thanks, everyone, for being here. <laughs>